is to help us know who you are and who we are and, and who we can be in you. And so, Lord, this morning as we look at the truth of the gospel, as we look at the cross, as we look at the glory of the resurrection on Easter Sunday, Lord, may the words that we read, the words that we hear, may they be your words. Lord, may your scriptures speak loudly and clearly to us today and penetrate our hearts and do some work in there and change us. Lord, make us different individually and, and as a church. And Lord, send us out today not determined, but simply changed. So God, we give you these next few moments and we open our hearts to you. We pray that you pour into us what we need to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Easter is great, isn't it? I mean, you think about what you went through this morning to get here, and it's it's great. Especially if you brought little kids with you. Easter's wonderful, isn't it? I, I saw a post last night from a mom on Facebook who was lamenting the fact that she's the world's worst mother because of what she forgot for Easter Sunday morning. She just forgot it all, and she didn't have anything that she was was uh, was ready with. And so she, boy, she was not having fun. And then, of course, if you got little kids ready this morning, if you've ever done that before, you know how, how great it is. You get all dressed up, your special Easter clothes, and you wear it once a year or once in a lifetime or whatever it is, because that one dress for the little girl is not going to fit next year. And so you, you spend $300 on this dress for one hour on Sunday morning. It makes no sense whatsoever, but you did it. And here you are, and you got all the hair fixed, and everything's good to go, and then it's windy outside. <laughs> You know, and then as if that's not bad enough, you got Easter grass everywhere all over the living room, right? It's just everywhere. And you'll be finding that stuff at Christmas. It's sort of like you find the pine needles off your tree at Easter. You find the Easter grass at Christmas. That's just the way that it goes. It's going to happen. And then, of course, we're offering free pictures today. Isn't that wonderful? There's no stress there, none whatsoever. Gather all the family, and you're still waiting on somebody to get here, and you're thinking, I don't know if they're going to make it or not. We'll stick around. Hey, we got two services, by the way. You can stick around for the second one if you need to. Some people, by the way, are still trying to get ready. They're at home preparing for the 9 o'clock service. It's 9.30. They're, they're going to get here. They'll walk in in just a minute. Tony's in the back. He'll see them come in. He knows where the seats are. He'll find them a seat. But, you know, Easter, Easter can, can take our focus from a lot of things. Certainly, you think about the candy and, and the eggs and the clothes and the pictures and all that stuff. But just so you know, as a reminder this morning, our, our focus, of course, during this time is not going to be on the candy, not going to be on the egg hunts, certainly not on Easter grass, that God-forsaken stuff. We're not going to focus on that. We're not even going to focus on the pictures or the nice clothes that we're wearing, but on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's our focus this morning. On his death, on his resurrection, that is our focus. We're going to look this morning at who we are, what we are, with and without the cross of Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What he's saying there to the people that were ashamed, the people that didn't want to hear the message, the people that were shaming him for being so proud in Jesus Christ of who God had made him to be, Paul was saying, look, I'm not ashamed of this message. It may bring me shame. It may bring me some condemnation in this world, but I'm not ashamed of it. And that's our stance this morning. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not ashamed of the cross, though it was a shameful thing. We're not ashamed of the cross. There's so many people who want to take the cross 
out of Christianity. They want to take the resurrection, the empty tomb, out of Christianity. They're fine with Christianity so long as it's just nice little people doing nice little things. And beware that we don't join them. Beware that we don't join them in taking the cross out of Christianity, that we boil Jesus down to a nice man and a nice teacher, and so who we are are nice people doing nice things. That's not Jesus. Part of who he was. But in Elm Grove, we believe that the cross was the reason that Jesus left heaven and came to earth. Not to do nice things, not to give us nice teaching, not so we'd have red letters in our Bibles, but it was the cross. That's the reason that he left. We believe that the cross was the focus of his life and his ministry. Everything leading up to that one moment, those few hours on the cross. We believe that the cross was necessary, not optional, but necessary to purchase our salvation. We believe that the cross was and still is offensive to sinful humanity because it requires that we humble ourselves and admit that we need somebody to take our place. And boy, we don't like to do that. That's what we believe about the cross, and that's why it matters so much to us. And that's why it's our focus today, because without it, as we'll see this morning, we have nothing. Without the cross, we have nothing. Without the cross, we're just taking up space and everything is pointless. Now, before we get to the scripture this morning, I want to tell you a few things, kind of where I'm starting from. I realize this morning we've got some folks, and I recognize most of you, there there are a few folks maybe that that you're just joining us for the first time, maybe the first time in a while. Let me just tell you kind of where we're starting from this morning. Here, Here are the starting points. This is where we are. I'm starting from the position that there is a God. Now you say, well, okay, we're in church. I assume that you are. I'm just making sure that we understand that. I'm starting from the position that there is a God. When you look at the fine-tuning of this universe, I've told somebody before, I can't explain God, but I can't explain anything without Him. I I can't explain the existence of God. Somebody asked me not long ago, who created God? Nobody. Can't explain that, can you? Blows your mind away. But I can't explain anything without him. Everything in the universe has to be exactly the way it is for everything in the universe to operate exactly the way it does. And without it all being right there at that point, nothing happens. Explain that one to me. Without God. I'm starting from the position that, that God is there. And that with that, uh, another evidence of that is we have a sense of right and wrong. Everybody has a sense of morality, points to the image of God. There are some things you will do, some things you won't do. I'm starting the position that God is real because we have a, we have a, a sense of purpose and meaning in life. I'm also starting from the position that the Bible is true. That it is true, 100% absolutely true. No errors, no mistakes, no contradictions, absolutely true. It is revealed by God to us, written down under the inspiration of His Holy Spirit, passed down, preserved, given to us, even in 21st century America, exactly the way that God wants us to have it. And so it is our rule for both belief and behavior. And I'm also starting from the point, the position that Jesus lived, that he died, and that he was raised again. That's the position. Historians agree that Jesus lived. They can't dispute that he died. And we know from history, both in the scripture and from the experience of those who followed him, that he didn't stay dead. The disciples were accused of stealing the body. You know why? Because it wasn't in the tomb. The Pharisees thought something had to happen to it. It wasn't there anymore. People saw him later on. He ate stuff. 
You realize in the scripture that's by no mistake? Jesus said, give me something to eat after he was resurrected. You know why? To prove that he was real. And the disciples were never the same. And the world was changed forever. Those are, that's where I'm starting from this morning. Just so you know. That God is there. The Bible is true. That Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected. So all of that colors what we'll look at this morning. I just want you to understand. I'm not trying to pull anything on you. That's where we're starting from this morning. So let's look at the scripture. Galatians chapter 3. Turn with me if you've got a Bible. Galatians chapter 3. It's a, it's a short little letter over in the New Testament. If you don't know anything about the Bible whatsoever, you might have a, a, a phone or, or a tablet. You can look up the book of Galatians, or maybe you've got a Bible in your hand. Just go to the table of contents, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians is a letter that was written by a guy named Paul, Apostle Paul, that was to be distributed amongst a bunch of churches in a particular area where Paul had visited and, and he cared about. And these people were a little confused about what they were going to believe. And in fact, there were many of them who were turning back on their Christian belief and they, they were confused and they were deceived and Paul is trying to correct them and he's trying to help them understand, here's who Jesus really was and here's what Jesus really did and this is what you need to understand. Now what they were most prone to believe was that they, by living what they thought were good lives, could earn their way into heaven. And Paul says, time out right now. Hold on a second. I got to talk to you guys about that stuff because you are way off base. They thought that they could, by living what they thought were good lives, earn their way into heaven. Now, does that sound familiar? <laughs> Times haven't changed, have they? We still believe and are deceived by the same things. We've got so many people in our world today, even in our Christian world, who believe that if you just live whatever you might consider, others might consider a good life, then in the end, it'll all work out because God is love. Now, that's a prevailing belief. Paul says, not so fast. And he's going to give us some verses this morning that help us understand why the cross is so important. Look with me, Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. He says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, this is not a typical Easter passage. I realize that. We're not in the Gospels looking at the, the events of the death and the resurrection. But Paul here is summing up who we are and what we are with and without the cross. He's going to give us this look. So first, we're going to take a look this morning at, at who we are, what we are without the cross. You're going to have three things here on either side. You'll see it nice and symmetrical in your bulletin. And you're good to go. Your mind is sharp, ready to go. It's all organized for you. First, the three things without the cross. In verse 10, we learn that first, without the cross, I'm a sinner. Write that down. I'm a sinner. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. What he's saying is, relying on the works of the law is trying to be good enough. 
The law, of course, that he's referring to is the law of Moses that was given to Moses by God first in the Ten Commandments and then explained throughout the rest of the books of the law. God is saying here through the Apostle Paul that everybody who relies on doing all those good things, trying to be perfect, you've missed the boat because you can't be perfect. According to the law, you are not good enough. Now you say, hold on, according to me, I am good enough. According to society, I'm, I'm good enough. But according to God, Paul is saying, everybody who relies on the works of the law, trying to be good enough, you're under a curse. You have sinned. You have crossed the line. You have missed the mark. Now, Paul wrote a lot about this, and not to, just to the Galatians. He, he wanted people to understand the bad news. He wanted them to get the fact that they were sinners. And so in Romans, if you just write down the reference, Romans chapters 1 through 3, Paul addresses three different groups who thought they were okay thought they had it all together, thought they were just fine, figured that in the end it would all work out. The first group he addresses is Roman society. They thought that because they were so incredible, so rich, so powerful, that they were okay. But Paul says you've ignored God even though he's revealed himself in creation to you, even though you should have recognized that you are not here by yourself, nor did you cause yourself, nor did all of this stuff just so happen by itself. You should have recognized there's something beyond you. Paul says you've missed it. Then he goes on and he addresses what we might call self-righteous people, the folks who are really just trying real hard. And he says to those people, you've sinned, you've ignored God, despite having knowledge of him through the scripture, and even in your conscience, you've, you've ignored all that stuff and you've crossed the line. And then he addresses the Jewish nation. And Paul has some pretty strong words for them. And he says, you have ignored God. You've sinned despite the fact that, that you've had his law for centuries and you've known God forever and you're his chosen people. You've crossed the line as well. And he sums it all up in Romans chapter three. Some of you may memorize this as a kid. Romans chapter three, verse 23. And he says, all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. I believe the King James puts it. All have sinned. He just sums it up. He's given categorically everybody in every category has sinned. We've all fallen short. And as a result, our efforts to be good aren't good enough. No one, he says, is justified by the law. That means that nobody is made right before God by doing all the right stuff because you can't do it. If I could walk you through this morning... I could say from the time that you got up until now, odds are you have committed a sin somewhere. You, you, you may not want to admit it, but you walked in this morning and you saw what some person was wearing that you may not care for. And you made some sort of judgmental thought. You complained this morning that the service was starting at 9 o'clock and you're used to it starting at 10. Why on earth do we have to have two services? Because it doesn't really matter. You just, people can sit where they want to. You, I know you, you didn't sin against me, of course. You, you know, you're just complaining out loud, right? Isn't it interesting how we all could trace our days, and I've done the same thing. Listen, I had to get three kids ready by myself this morning. Let me tell you, I sinned a little bit. I'm going to lie to you. It happened. Said I was sorry, we moved on, okay? It's just the way it goes. Just the deal. All of us, though, we have to admit, by default, by nature, and by action, I'm a sinner. That's what Paul tells us first. Second thing he tells us, also in verse 10, without the cross, I'm cursed. He says, cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. You say, all right, I've done quite a bit. Have you done everything? Perfectly, without mistake, without error, without hesitation. Have you done everything that God has said? No, no, probably haven't. 
And Paul says, cursed. And he's quoting Old Testament scripture. Cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. And here I am. Haven't done it all. Haven't continued to do it all. Not only have I gone against it, but I've kept going against it. I've not done everything. And Paul tells us, not only here but elsewhere, that because I fall short of God's standard of perfection, I am under a curse because I'm answerable to Him and responsible for the penalty of my sin. The penalty of my sin is a curse. I'm in a bad spot, aren't I? Really not a bad spot, it's a hopeless spot. I haven't done everything in the law, I've broken the law, and so here I am, a lawbreaker, a law ignorer, an ignorer of God. I've not done what God has told me to do. I've sinned, I'm responsible for it, I'm accountable to God, I'm on the hook to pay the penalty for my sin, and God's penalty is very simple. Paul said it in Romans chapter 6, he says, the wages of sin is what? Death. There's one simple curse for sin. God made no mistake. God mixed no words. He said death. That's the penalty. The curse is death. Now that's not the kind of message most folks like to hear today. You may have shown up to church this morning expecting to be really pumped up when you leave today. Because, you know, that's, it's Easter and I want to be excited and so on. I understand. This is not the message that most folks like to hear today. The kind of God that we like in our society is this easygoing God who just sits back, kind of lets things happen. He just waits for you to come to him when you need something. He's good. He's like grandpa. He's just hanging out. He's sitting on the couch. He's watching some TV. He's drinking a Coke. He's having a good time doing whatever he's doing. He goes on a cruise now and then, whatever, with grandma. You know, whatever. I mean, he cuts the grass occasionally in his straw hat. That's what he does. That's God, right? Like, like grandpa. But that's not the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is the one to whom all humanity, every person is accountable. The God of the Bible is the one who has a standard, and anything less than that standard is called sin. The God of the Bible is the one who is holy. The God of the Bible is the one who cannot, does not, and will not tolerate sin in his presence ever. The God of the Bible is the one whose prerogative it is to set the penalty for sin and to punish sinners. That's the God of the Bible. Well, hold on. And so according to the God of the Bible, because I'm a sinner, I'm cursed to die for that sin. But that's not all the bad news that Paul lays out here. He's got one more thing to tell us. The third thing, without the cross, in verse 11, we'll see I'm dead. I'm a sinner. I'm cursed. I'm dead. Well, great news. Now, it is clear, verse 11, that no one is justified before God before the law, because the righteous will live... By faith. I can't be made right. Here's what Paul is saying. To be justified means that I am lined up with, that I am exam- I'm where I need to be before God. I have a right standing. He welcomes me into, into his presence. That's being justified. Think about it in a, in a term paper or something. You justify something, you line up the outsides of it, right? It's all in exactly where it needs to be. All lined up. Paul says nobody gets lined up with God. Nobody is made right before God by the law. What is he saying? By trying to do all the right things. Nobody. And since I can't be made righteous by those things, God says I'm dead to him. By default, by nature, and by sin, I am dead to God. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, put it this way. 
You can write down the reference. Romans 5, 12 through 14. I'll read it to you. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law. But sin is not charged uh, to one's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. So I haven't done what he did. But God says it doesn't matter. One sin equals the curse equals death. So by default, just understand this, by default I'm bound for hell. The default when we are born is hell. I know babies are cute, but the default is hell. By nature, I'm bound for hell because I am a sinner by nature. And then by action, by sin, I'm bound for hell. I'm dead where I stand because I'm a sinner and I'm cursed. That's all the bad news. Paul lays it out. Without the cross, that's who I am. That's where I am. And that's why Jesus came. Because we are hopeless without the cross. We have no chance without the cross. We cannot live up to God's standard. We can't be good enough. Go out and try. We cannot pay the penalty for our own sins without dying ourselves. That's it. And then what? And there's zero chance that we deserve anything but death from God. And so that's where we are, and that's where the cross comes in. Because here's what Paul says under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says we are and who we are with the cross. The first thing is, in verse 13, with the cross, I'm forgiven. As opposed to being a sinner, I'm now forgiven. Verse 13 puts it this way. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I'm forgiven. He's redeemed us. He's bought me out of my situation and put me into a new one. He's adopted me. He's he's forgiven me. He's wiped the slate clean by his death. Redeemed, purchased. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 put it this way. While we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul makes uh, he, he makes a point about a word uh, in his writings. He calls it the word propitiation. That's a fancy Bible term that simply means that God's wrath, His holy anger, and understand that His wrath is not that God is some angry guy waiting to shoot lightning bolts at you. His wrath is simply His holy response to sin. He can't tolerate it. God's wrath needed to be dealt with. His anger, His holiness had to be dealt with. Our sin can't exist in there. So what happens? Well, Paul makes the point that Jesus comes. And because Jesus was perfect, he was the one who not only needed to satisfy God's wrath, but the only one who could satisfy God's wrath. And so it's God's love and his wrath all coming together on the cross. When Jesus died, that's what you have happening. While we were still helpless, he died for us to forgive us. So with the cross, I'm forgiven. Secondly, with the cross, I'm blessed instead of being cursed. Verse 14. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles. He talks about this blessing of Abraham. There was a promise back in Genesis chapter 15, 12 and 15. When God promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to all nations. Well, who's the blessing? That's Jesus Christ. I have received through that that lineage of Abraham, I've received justification. I know a new standing before the Lord. I've received reconciliation. Now I have a different relationship with the Lord. The blessing of the cross means that I'm offered membership now in God's family, just like Abraham and all his children. 
The blessing of the cross means that I have direct access now to God. And the blessing of the cross means that He took away the penalty for my sin. And Jesus took it upon Himself to forgive me. Romans chapter 5 goes on. It puts it this way in verses 9 through 11. Since we have now been declared righteous by His blood, we will be saved through Him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I'm blessed. I once was under a curse, now I'm under blessing. And once I'm under blessing, it can never be taken away. Paul got all over the Galatians. In fact, he told them they were foolish. Because he said, you've been saved by grace, so now what? Now you're going to count on your works? Now you're going to count on being good? He says, keep counting on grace. I realized this morning that there are some who need to hear the message of grace for the very first time and need to understand you're standing without the cross and what Jesus has done for you to receive you into God's family, to give you eternal life and to forgive you of your sins. And there are others here this morning who need to hear the message of grace once more, that you are forgiven of all sin, past, present, and future. Because guess what you're going to do later today? I know you don't want to admit it, but you're going to sin. What then? Have I lost it? Have I lost my justification? Have I lost my standing with God? Am I now not reconciled to the Lord? Paul Paul tells us once and for all it is taken care of. So you don't have to beat yourself up anymore. You don't have to count on trying to be good enough for God anymore. Jesus was good enough. Jesus, as the song says, the cross was enough to forgive us past, present, and future. I'm blessed now because of the cross. Thirdly, with the cross, I'm alive. Not dead. I'm alive. Paul said in verse 14, The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The promise of the Spirit is that we would be given new life here and eternal life in heaven. Victory over this life. Victory over death. Victory over the world. Victory over sin. I am alive. For now and forevermore, I am alive. The Easter truth this morning is that without the cross, I'm a sinner. I'm cursed and I'm dead. But praise God that with the cross, I am forgiven, I am blessed, and I am made alive in Christ Jesus. And it presents us with with a choice to make. This morning is not just about getting dressed up and smiling at one another and having our picture made. I want you to come face to face as I need to myself with a choice that I'm going to make. What will be my choice this Easter Sunday? How will I respond to the truth of who I am without and who I am with the cross? What will I do? It really comes down to the choice between who you will live by faith in. Paul really kind of lays it out. You can choose to say, I, I, first of all, I will live by faith in me. I'll live by faith in me. And I mean this, tomorrow morning you get up and you're going to live by faith in someone. I, I will live by faith in me. So what I'm going to do is try real hard and wishful thinking. You know what, in the end it will just all work out. God's cool with it. It will be fine. I'm going to live with my own intuition and put my trust in that. And you know what? I'm, I'm smart and I can handle things. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my faith in my own just assumptions and what I can figure out about life, my own efforts and so on. There are many people, in fact, the majority of the people in the world are living by faith in themselves. And sadly, many Christians on a functional basis will do that every single day. Claim faith in Jesus Christ and yet live by faith in themselves. I wonder, is that you? Is that me? When I leave this place, will I live by faith in me and try to figure it out on my own? Or the second choice is I will live by faith in Jesus. Galatians chapter 2 puts it this way. Paul says in verse 19, Through the law I have died to the law, that I might live to God. And he says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says to the Galatians, you guys, you can choose to live by faith in yourselves. He says, I've chosen to live by faith in Jesus Christ. I have died to myself so that Christ may live in me. I no longer live. I've died so that I can be made alive, so that Christ might live his life through me. And even though I keep on living, now my life is different. I live by faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means I trust his word. It means I obey his word. It means I imitate him. It means I receive and I live for his kingdom. Paul says, he loved me, gave himself for me, so I'll live by faith in him. Faith that he is true. Faith that he is enough. Faith that he has forgiven me. Faith that he took the curse in my place. Faith that I will live with him forever. Faith that he has a plan when I can't see it. Faith that he knows what is best. Faith that with the cross, I'm right where I need to be. Faith that I'm forgiven. That I'm blessed. That I'm alive. Even though by default, I'm a sinner cursed to die. I wonder what would be your choice today. You say, I've already given my life to Jesus a long time ago, but functionally, who's your faith in? This morning, my challenge to us is to leave here not dragging the cross along, take up your cross and follow him. But with the cross in full view, letting Jesus live his life through us so that with the cross we live as forgiven, blessed, and alive people. Those are the kinds of people your family need, the kinds of people that your co-workers need, that your classmates need, the kinds of people that this world needs, those who recognize they've been forgiven, those who live as if they're truly blessed, and those who have been made alive by God's Holy Spirit. Live by faith in Christ Jesus who loved you and gave himself for you. That's the message of Easter, that you've been redeemed, you've been renewed, you've been forgiven, blessed, and made alive. Let's pray together. Just for a moment there as you kind of focus in, maybe with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you may not be much of a praying person. This may be a brand new message for you and it may come across a little strong or maybe there's some things you don't understand and you've got some questions. I'll be hanging around for a few minutes after the service before the next one starts. We'd love to be able to talk with you and answer some questions, maybe set up a time we can get back together. 
But ultimately, it comes down to a choice, simply to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the one who died for you, the one who, as we celebrate today, was raised again to give you eternal life. You may not know all the words to say, but right where you are this morning, you can simply pray, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And this morning, I need your forgiveness. And I believe in you. Please change my life. It can be as simple as that. You don't need all the answers to pray in faith to receive Jesus for salvation. And maybe you're a person who says, you know what, I've already done that. But this week, this month, the rest of this year, I want to live by faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith in myself. What commitment is it that you need to make this morning? In a moment, we'll close with a song. I'm going to pray for us. And if you've got something that you need to pray about, you feel free to make your way down here and be happy to pray with you. If you've got questions, like I said, I'll be sticking around after the service. If you pray that prayer this morning, the prayer of faith, asking Jesus to forgive you for the very first time, and asking Him for salvation, I'd love to know and celebrate with you. Our Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for the truth of your word.